and welcome to mini episode 124 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have four spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from May the 26th, 2021 and story number one comes from Catherine. My granddad, known as Jim, didn't fight in the Second World War because he was a shipbuilder on the docks in Liverpool and that was too valuable a job for him to be sent away. He had a friend that was enlisted and right before he was deployed, him and my granddad had the same heated discussion they always did about life after death. Granddad said there was life after death, his friend said there wasn't, and neither would budge in their view. His friend got deployed and was based on a ship. Sometime after this, my granddad's sister, my great aunt, was just chilling in her room one evening, when suddenly my granddad's friend comes into the room. My aunt was shocked, of course, and not too happy that he just waltzed in. Before she could say anything, my granddad's friend simply said, tell Jim he was right, and then left. My aunt immediately told her father that this man had just been in her room, and of course he kicked off but there was no sign of him anywhere. A few days later, they learned that his ship had gone down the same night he had appeared in my aunt's bedroom. My granddad passed away at the grand age of 95 in October 2019. He had lived independently up until he was diagnosed with a cancerous tumour on his face and neck that eventually led him to receiving end-of-life care in a nursing home. I should note as well that my granddad was still sharp at 95 and had no memory problems. One night, the nurse had walked past my granddad's room on his rounds and glimpsed the figure of a woman in the chair next to granddad's bed. Backtracking and thinking it was one of the dementia patients wandering, the nurse went into the room to check. Nobody was there. My granddad was awake, so the nurse said, Jim, was there someone in here a second ago? Yes, said granddad. It was just my wife popping in to see me. Nanny Jean, my granddad's wife, had passed away around 35 years ago. It was a few weeks after this that my granddad passed away. I'm a great believer that loved ones who have passed away come to collect you or help you to pass on from this life whenever it's time. My dad passed away when I was 17. He'd had a bad cough which turned out to be lung cancer. He was only 56. He had been diagnosed at the end of February, start of March and passed away in the June so there was a very short amount of time in between. Unfortunately, he wasn't home much in that time, as one session of chemo had knocked him off his feet so much, along with a collapsed lung, that he spent most of his time in hospital before being transferred to a hospice. As you can imagine, this was a devastating time. Every day after school, I'd do the walk from school to the hospice to see him. He was in denial a lot of the time about his illness, and could not accept that he was dying. Even though he'd only had one session of chemo which they then stopped, he was never able to keep any food down after that and his dad tummy soon shrank to the size that I'd never seen it before. This was a man that had loved his food so much and was suddenly unable to keep it down. In the month or so before his passing, on and off, we would all experience a lovely lavender smell in his room and we noticed my dad looking up in the top corner of his room a lot as if something was there. We couldn't see it of course and the lavender smell was strange because if you've ever been in a hospice it certainly doesn't smell like lavender and there was no obvious source for it. On the day dad passed away mum was with him and his eyes were closed. 
As he took his last breath, he opened his eyes and looked right up into the same corner that he'd been staring at so many times. Mum says that a look of recognition appeared in his eyes just as he took his last breath. Again, I believe someone had been hanging around waiting to collect him. I'm not sure why, but I feel very strongly that it was my paternal grandmother. Again, I'm not sure why, it's just a feeling that I have. My dad has often visited me in my dreams and provides a lot of comfort. Even though it's been 11 years since he passed, I still have a visitation from him every now and again and think about him almost every day. I still can't believe he passed so young and the way that he did. Not long after he passed, I had the most vivid dream I will never forget. I was in my high school with my mum and my siblings walking into the assembly hall. Except it had been done up like one of those old-fashioned hotel restaurants. We sat down at our table, but I was frantically searching for Dad. Instinctively, I knew he was at a table on the other side of the hall, so I went to find him. When I found him, the people at the table next to him were shouting at my dad because he'd been sick on the floor between the tables. My dad, never one for confrontation or losing his temper, was trying to explain calmly to them the situation. I asked what was going on, and my dad turned to me and said, It's okay. I was sick, but I'm okay now. I just needed to be sick and now I'm fine. I cry my eyes out every time I tell this story and I'm crying writing this, but the symbolism in the dream is so clear and I think it was my dad's way of telling me that he's better now. I used to work as a carer in various different care homes. In one home I worked in, I'd been assigned the third floor for the morning to help the residents up there with what they needed and to get their breakfast for them. The first and second floors of the building were straight corridors with swing doors at each end. There was a kitchenette in the middle and we would normally write our notes in there. The third floors still had the kitchenette in the middle except the corridor wasn't straight and you had to walk around a corner to access the other side of the corridor. One day I was doing my notes in the kitchenette and I heard rushed footsteps coming around the corner of the corridor. Knowing the residents don't move that fast and knowing that there was no real reason for any other staff to be on this floor. I assumed it was a staff member looking for me, so I shouted, I'm in here! I had no response and the footsteps hurried on past the kitchenette and I heard the swing door at the end of the corridor. Wanting to know who it had been, I poked my head out and looked at the swing door that I could actually see and saw that it was starting to swing shut. I dashed down the hall to look down the stairs as I would be able to see the movement of the swing doors on all levels, but there was nobody there, and there was no movement from any of the other doors. Whoever, or whatever it was, had vanished. On the same floor, we had two residents that were husband and wife. They had separate rooms across the hall from each other. She was very deaf and partially blind. Her husband needed more care and required two carers to hoist him. She had gotten into the habit of walking straight into his room, but we kindly explained that if the door was closed, it would be great if she knocked first, as if we were in the middle of carrying out care and she had the door wide open, it wouldn't protect his dignity if other residents could see in. She started knocking and because she was deaf, we would have to shout, Come in! One day we were lowering our husband onto the bed with the hoist when we heard a knock at the door. Come in, I said loudly thinking it was her. Nothing. So I did it twice more, louder each time. 
thinking she didn't have her hearing aid in. I left her husband, safe, and opened the door. Nobody was there. Most people would say that she wandered off again, except none of the sensor lights in the corridor were on and only switched on when we opened the door. I heard it, the second carer heard it, and the resident we were assisting heard it too. Firstly, I loved all of these stories. I love a person experiencing stuff just before they die and other people in the vicinity experiencing similar things. Those kind of stories I just think are lovely and they give so much hope and I know that there is a lot of scientific research that has gone into what happens in your brain just before you die. But regardless of all of that, I think it's very lovely. So I'm going to rewind back to the first story pretty quickly, which was about the soldiers having a conversation and then the friend went to war and sadly his ship was sank and then he came back to his aunt and said, tell Jim he was right. I would be so petty that I would refuse to come back. If I'd had an argument with somebody and they turned out to be right, I'd be like, "Mm, I'm not even going to go back. I'm not going to go back and tell them. I wonder if in some sort of mad sense of irony, that soldier who, when the ship was sinking, was thinking, I'm about to find out whether Jim was right all along. And it's interesting that he went back to Jim's sister rather than Jim himself. I wonder, did he think, I can't go back to Jim himself because it will traumatise him too much, where as his sister just thought, what are you doing in my bedroom? Like, obviously, she didn't think anything supernatural she thought there was just a strange man in her bedroom and I've said it before and I'll say it again that people who work in care homes or work in end-of-life care listen those people see some stuff man they see the best and the worst of humanity and they see people at the end of their life and that is scary in itself and then you add in all the weird stuff that happens too like that nurse walking by didn't walk by and go whoa that's really weird there's a strange woman in that room They walked by and said, oh, one of the patients has wandered and is sitting in that room. I better go back and get them, which is a natural reaction to have when you see a person in a care facility who's in a place that they shouldn't be in. And of course, they didn't think it was supernatural. But then going back and realizing there was nobody there like that must have shook them so much. And it's such a tragedy for somebody to lose their parent so young. So I'm obviously really sorry that that happened to your family. And it reminded me that story of your dad being in hospice care and smelling the lavender. It reminded me of a story that my friend told me years ago before we even before we started the podcast, before anything like that. And she had a grandparent who died in their household and they had been given them end of life care in the household. And on the night that they died, the family all smelled roses really, really strongly around the house but they only realised the next morning that they they had all had a similar experience. But like a really strong, sharp smell of roses that they couldn't find a reason for. There was nobody wearing that kind of smelling perfume and the smell would come and go. And they all thought, wow, that's so strange. And then really, really strange things happened in the night that led my friend and her family to believe that people from their grandparents' childhood had come back to get them had come back to bring them to the other side safely and without any kind of trauma or stress. So I I don't know. I know that, like I said earlier, there have been lots of scientific studies into what happens in your brain at the end of life. And your brain obviously does 
create scenarios to protect you, to make you feel calmer, to make you as the dying person not be as afraid. But for the people around you to all experience the same thing, that's very weird. And story number two comes from Kifa. When I was young, maybe three or four, I had two friends called Charlie and Nicholas. And yes, you are correct in saying Nicholas and not Nicholas. And I was very intent on correcting this. So these guys were obviously ghost children. They lived in a pink house at the end of my mam's road, but would be in my house playing with me until my mam said they had to leave. Charlie was a great friend, but Nicholas was an arsehole. He would do things in the house that obviously would be blamed on me, but I genuinely didn't do them. They would ask to borrow my toys, and I'd ask my mam's permission first. If she said yes, the toys would disappear for weeks on end until I asked for them back. They would then appear in places that I could never reach, like on top of the presses or other weird places. One night, I asked my mam if they could sleep over, and she said yes. So I put them to bed and began watching a film with my family. Everyone in the house at the time was in the sitting room watching whatever it was when my little self jumped up and started giving out that those two were out of bed. I shouted up at them to get back into bed, and everyone heard very loud, very distinctly, two sets of footsteps running across my bedroom floor and my bed being jumped on. They weren't allowed to stay anymore, and I eventually grew out of being able to see them. I know they're still around that house though. My mum's house had four bedrooms, three upstairs and one downstairs. The downstairs bedroom had so much activity that it was just ridiculous. My eldest sister slept in that room. When she was in her teens, my mom bought a second-hand wooden wardrobe for her. One day, she opened it up and there was a very old couple cowering on the floor of the wardrobe looking terrified. The words, help us, were also etched into it when it was bought. Another time, she was hanging boys' own posters on her wall when the chair she was standing on buckled. She was about to land on her head when my granddad caught her. She never hit the floor and was lifted back into a standing position on the chair like some sort of fucking exorcist shit. Oh, my granddad had been dead for years when he caught her. I was also able to describe my granddad in vivid detail to my mam and tell her how he would play with me all the time and how I loved his belly jiggling when he laughed. He died two years before I was born and I had only seen a photo of him from the neck up. When she moved out, that room was used for storage. A doll I owned called Amazing Ali was thrown in there because she kept telling us her batteries were low and that she needed her backpack. She would also giggle a lot in the creepiest giggle ever. There were never batteries in her when she did all of this. And I swear to God my family can vouch for that. And this is where it gets dark. When I was a bit older, I think it started when I was around 12. I was sleeping in the front room when I woke up in the middle of the night to see a dark figure standing over the bed, bent over watching me sleep. I turned around to face the wall, and when I opened my eyes, there was a demon's face in the wall. That guy haunted my dreams every night until I drew him. My brother actually got the drawing tattooed on his leg, And since he did, I haven't dreamed of him since. 
Weird, I know. I insisted on changing bedrooms the day after the encounter, and I was adamant the door to the front bedroom was to be closed at all times. If it wasn't, I would see him. Actually, everybody going up or down the stairs would see him, but he hated me so much and never bothered anyone else. I'd moved into the box room and every so often I would have a flare-up of interactions with him. He was about seven or eight foot tall and blacker than black. The kind of black you could see him perfectly in the dark. He wore a top hat and a long coat down past his knees and he had a walking stick. During the flare-ups, he would try to get me. Every night while I slept, I dreamt of him watching me through the glass above the door of my bedroom so my dad boarded it up. My dad never dismissed my experiences. Instead, he looked for ways to make it stop, which I was grateful for. After the glass was boarded up, he was able to come into my room. It started as him trying to grab my toes. He'd grab them at night and try to pull me out of the bed. Then he started breathing in my ear. He once was able to pull the duvet off my bed and pulled the pillows from under my head. I was a champion Irish dancer, so had shelves upon shelves of heavy marble-based trophies. He threw them at me numerous times, and he was able to do this during the day, too. I started wearing my dad's socks to bed, or my brother's, and when I did, he wasn't able to come near me. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm so close to my dad, and my brother is my best friend, the closest person to me in life. Maybe that had something to do with why he couldn't touch me when I wore an item of theirs. I don't know. I should mention that during the flare-ups I would sleepwalk a lot. I would wake up with the entire contents of my wardrobe in my bed. Or one night I tried to attack my brother with a hammer because I thought he was an intruder. Saying that out loud for the first time makes me think it wasn't me attacking him though. After the near hammer attack things got worse. I couldn't go into my room anymore because all I would hear in my ear was You're mine and that foul breath on my neck. My dad had enough at that point because I thought I was going crazy. He said he would sort it and locked himself in my room for over two hours. I don't know what he did and I don't know what he saw in there, but he will never talk about it. But when he came out, all he said was, it's sorted. And it never bothered me again. But I know he's always there because I can feel him. So as you can tell, my mum's house is haunted to fuck. I hate being there alone. And this story first started when I was about 15. And I'm 27 now for context. Everyone in my family, and there are a lot of us, even people that aren't family just visiting my mum, have seen me in the house. But it's not me. The first night it happened, I was in my friend's house two doors down drinking tea. It was around 10pm when my mum rang me telling me to please come home. I ran down the road and my mum was pale white and shaking. I asked what happened because after everything that happened in that house, that woman will insist that it's not haunted. She said the hall door opened and closed and she heard me say, It's me mum, I'm home now, and go into the sitting room. She came in to have a chat and obviously I wasn't there. I told her I hadn't come home at all that day, only to drop my school bag in and get changed at around 4pm. Since then, everyone that goes into that house sees her. Even strangers that know nothing about the history. To this day, when I don't live there, 
they still see her. This thing that isn't me. A few have said that it's me, but when she turns around, they can't quite make out her face. Or she has no face. Or she doesn't turn around at all. My mom said she did suffer a miscarriage right before me. So I don't know if it's the spirit of that baby holding some resentment towards me or something. My own partner won't go into that house anymore because she scares him so much. I don't know why she looks like me. And I don't think I want to know the answer either. Just as I was recording that, a very zealous delivery man came and knocked on my door. But he knocked really loudly and just scared the shit out of me in the middle of that story. Because that story was so scary. What is going on in that house? I mean, isn't that really every parent's worst nightmare? Your kid has these two imaginary kids, two imaginary friends where you're like, okay, yeah, they've got imaginary friends, brilliant. And the kid is like, mom, can my imaginary friends like borrow things? Can they do this? Can they do that? Of course you're going to entertain it. Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. And then you're like, oh, you know, they want to have a sleepover now. Brilliant. Yeah, fine. But then you hear them. You hear those imaginary children running across the bedroom and into the bed. No, no. I would have taken Kifa. I would have picked her up and not gone, I'm really sorry. I know you're my child and I love you. And just deposited her outside the door and been like, you and your imaginary friends can make your own way in the world now. Oh, and also to let people know that the word presses. So at, at some point... Kifa said in the story that there were toys left on top of presses. Presses just means cupboards. That's that's the word we use in Ireland for a cupboard is a press. There's some trivia for you. I've definitely said that before when Irish people have sent in stories and they've used the word press and I've thought, oh, hang on a second. Other people aren't going to know what that means. But yes, that is a word that we use instead of cupboard. Whatever is going on in this house is not good just in general like you've got the hat man he's never good when he shows up you know things are, are are going downhill and your version of the hat man kind of sounds like the babadook i don't know why he sounds like more like the babadook maybe it's the jaunty cane i definitely think that the babadook would have a jaunty cane so therefore this version of the hat man has a jaunty cane kind of kind of into the look not into the behavior but i'm into the look and the girl pretending to be you absolutely not absolutely not even as an adult I'd still be I'd I'd be putting you up for adoption because I'd be thinking she's bringing nothing but trouble into this haunted house why is it trying to be you what's what's the uh, what's the end goal that's what what I always want to know with these doppelganger stories what is the end goal what is this doppelganger trying to achieve and story number three comes from Xavier my mom grew up Protestant and her whole life was taught the only ghost that exists is the Holy Ghost there were no others but she told me that I changed that I know you might say that my mom was making this up to scare me but my mom doesn't watch horror movies or have an interest in it she doesn't do spooky things at all really and I cannot imagine her making any of this up she's very grounded in reality up until I was five I lived in a mobile home park but these events all happened when I was three in my room I had a rocking chair passed down from an aunt She had a baby boy before I was born, but he passed away very young, at around three years old as well. I cannot remember what he died from other than a tragic accident, and it is a really painful wound for those who remember him. His name was Ian, and his mother gave away lots of his things, including the rocking chair that made its way to my mom. My mom first noticed something was strange when I would wake up and run to my parents' room 
and say there was a boy in my rocking chair. Of course, no one was ever there. This happened on more than one occasion, and when my mom asked me what he looked like, I described Ian perfectly, even though he had died before I was ever born. After this happened, on a nearly nightly occurrence, my mom got freaked out and got rid of the chair, and I never said that he was in my room again. Around the same time, I said there was a man in my room, and again, nobody was there. My mom said this only happened once, but she thinks it may have been an ex-brother-in-law from a former marriage who completed suicide. She said he was always very kind to her and always looked out for her, probably because he knew his brother, my mom's ex-husband, was a total piece of shit. I don't know about this conclusion, and there is not much evidence or reason to link him and me, but it seems to bring her comfort thinking someone she knew was still checking in on her. The last big thing my mom said, that totally made her finally believe in ghosts, was when we were driving down a busy street, and I spotted a roadside memorial, and I said, someone died there. My mom awkwardly said, yes, that's right, not thinking much because she knew I knew that death existed, but I probably didn't fully understand the concept. I just knew that those crosses and flowers at the side of the road meant that someone had died. However, later that day, my mom saw me drawing a man with red marks all over his face. My mom asked me who I was drawing, and I said I was drawing the man I saw at the roadside memorial. When she asked me what the marks on his face were, I said, Those are the boo-boos that he got from the accident. That sent chills down my mom's spine. She knew I didn't watch any scary movies. She told me she threw away the drawing, but she wishes she kept it now as a morbid memory or some kind of proof that these things happened. My mom said that I would act weird in cemeteries, and in one instance said I looked scared and asked to leave. But again, this I'm not sure of, since ages three to five is when children usually start to understand death and ask questions about it. I generally don't really believe that objects can get haunted, but stories like that make me wonder. I think I would have gotten rid of the chair too. (laughs) I think I would have been like, oh, I'm not taking that risk. Let's get rid of the chair. I don't think the chair needs to stay at this point. And it's like we always say, if it brings comfort to somebody that they believe that somebody's coming back to check in on them, then let them have it, by all means. And story number four comes from Bevan. This first story is probably nothing, but it's fun nonetheless. We have three dogs. One of them is named Jersey. She is very goofy and does a lot of weird things that our other dogs do not do. One night, my girlfriend and I were watching The Conjuring, which is our favourite horror movie. Jersey was laying on the floor, on one hip but both elbows. People with dogs will know what I mean. I wasn't really paying attention to her, because why would I when Annabelle is doing crazy shit? I look over at the dog and she's looking straight up at the ceiling, like nose pointed directly up. I leaned over to my girlfriend and whispered, She has the gun jerseying. We have moved several times since then and she keeps doing it. So unless she's the one that's haunted, it's probably just a weird stretch that she does. The next one involves one of my other dogs named Flash. I take Flash for a walk every morning, and we have been taking a specific route for a couple of months when this happened. 
We go around 6am to avoid people and walk in the middle of the street so she has less to stop and sniff. As we were walking down the same street we had been walking every day for six weeks, Flash suddenly stops and stares ahead. I look to where she is staring and there was nothing, but she kept staring. For an awkwardly long amount of time. Long enough for me to notice it was weird and get freaked out. I took my phone out of my pocket, unlocked it, opened Instagram and recorded her in a story. During the recording she just noped and turned to go back the way we were coming from, cutting her own walk in half. We walked the same route for several more months with no other incident. And this last story is the one that really made me believe. As dogs can just be weird and ghosts don't have to exist because my dogs are weird. One night I was having a really bad dream. The details I can't recall but I was very distressed. A pressure on my shoulder jolted me awake and this blue and white luminescent man was leaning over me. I was immediately fucking freaked out because why wouldn't I be? But he smiled and glanced at my shoulder. I followed his arm back down to where he had placed my girlfriend's hand to comfort me during my bad dream. I looked back to his face and he gave me a friendly nod before kind of just evaporating away. I told my girlfriend the next morning but she just brushed it off as part of my dream. And maybe it was, but I don't think so. Ghost or angel, I think someone wanted me to be comforted and the memory of that makes me happy. I think your dog stopped you from being involved in something that you shouldn't have been involved in. Dogs, cats, all sorts of animals are incredible and they have an incredible sense of danger. You know, I've spoken about this actually only recently, I think, on the podcast about dogs who can, you know, they, they can smell cancer. Dogs who can predict when their owners are going to have a seizure. Like all of those amazing things that dogs can be trained to do. Of course, it makes sense that if you were out for a walk, your dog would send something and go, it's not a good idea for us to keep going. So we're going to turn around and go back. I wonder, there is a part of me that wonders what would have happened if you had stayed going, but obviously not in a way that you know, I want to see you or your dog in danger. Not in that kind of way. And I love these good-natured ghosts who go around comforting people and waking them up from bad dreams. That What an amazing way to spend the afterlife. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Catherine, Kifa, Xavier and Bevan for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from May the 26th, 2021. If you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast, you can do so by checking out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.